So I'm going to preach today the message that I planned on preaching last week, and it's part of a series that has now been shortened called A Season of Life, and I'm going to look at a number of passages over the next few weeks dealing with the light of Christmas in essence. I'm going to read today from Isaiah chapter 9, the first seven verses the New Living Translation says this, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will, be, will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Today I want to preach for the next 25 minutes or so the promise of light. The promise of light. I was raised in Louisiana And while I I don't look like I probably spent much time in the country, I spent as much time as possible out in the country. We had a family in our church in Louisiana. They lived in Holden, Missouri, or Holden, Louisiana. And they lived about a mile from the Tickfall River. And you would go out, we'd go out through the backyard and through the fields and wander through the woods and get back to the river, and at the river we had a lot of fun. We had a big uh, swing over the river with a platform, and we would swing off of this, this swing and dive off of, the, off of the swing out into the middle of the river. It's really deep in this curve of the river. Alligators occasionally found one on the bank one day dead, and so it, you know, when you're a kid, who cares about alligators? You just go and have fun. Just a little ways from where we Uh, would swim, they had a little cabin, shack maybe more like it, that they built. And we would periodically stay overnight in this cabin. No electricity, but we'd have kerosene lanterns. And and of course, Louisiana summers are hot and the winters are not that bad. And so we would do it year-round if we had the opportunity. Love to go out. We'd build fires. We'd have a good time. So one particular night, a group of us 
decided to drive from where we lived in Walker or Denham Springs, and we, we drove out to Holden about 30 minutes away, and we were very familiar with the area. We were there all the time, swimming, having a good time, hunting in the woods for squirrels. And The problem was that it was nighttime. And at nighttime, you just can't see lots of tree cover. I don't know what the moon was like that night. Didn't really pay attention to the moon. Could have been full. It could have been totally dark. Who knows? But there wasn't much light. And as we were going to the little shack slash cabin, the challenge was that it sat on a little bit of a cliff. Right next to it was this drop-off. Now, cliff may be an overstatement. It was about 15 feet of a drop into this little ravine. Cypress trees and some cypress uh, knees coming up. I don't know if you're familiar with cypress knees, but the cypress trees will grow out and the roots will come out of the ground. And, and uh, we're going to the cabin. The road runs right along the little drop-off, the little ravine. And so Tom Curtis, he gets out of the vehicle, not as familiar with the area as some of the others of us, and he falls off of the edge of the ravine. We can't, of course, see this. It's dark. But we can hear him some 15 feet below us calling for help. So we find lights, and we get lights, and we go down there, and we determine that his leg is broken. So the good friends that we are, we're not going to leave him in the woods. So we make our way to the cabin. We take the door off, and we use the door as a stretcher. We get him on the door. We take him out of the ravine. We get him in the back of the truck, and off we go out of the woods onto the two-lane road, onto the interstate. Tom laying in the back of the truck on the door, and we're going to the hospital in Hammond, Louisiana. We get to the hospital. He contacts his parents. Of course, no cell phones back then. We had to wait till we get there, and he calls his, his mom. Once he gets a hold of his mom, we're like, see you, Tom. We're going back to the woods. Darkness causes everything to be worse. You can't see. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what's there. I, I'm not really, as some would say, I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of what's in the dark. The dark won't hurt you, but what's in the dark might just reach out and grab you. If I was sitting next to one of you, I'd reach over and grab you right about then. (laughs) Darkness. People don't like darkness. In the Bible, it uses darkness as a synonym for evil And that which is the opposite of God. Spiritual darkness is the absence of God being in a situation. Or God, the absence of God being involved in a certain location. And when that happens, evil is rampant and evil is running wild. And there is all kinds of immorality and sinfulness and debauchery that takes place in spiritual darkness. In the Bible, the context of this, Isaiah writing, and he has prophesied that there is a time of darkness that is coming. He's prophesying in Judah. Judah has turned away from God over and over. Israel at this point has already been wiped out by the Assyrians in 721 B.C. And 
And Isaiah is talking about what's going to happen to Judah. He prophesies of this demise of the nation of Judah, that there's going to be a time of spiritual darkness, this absence of God being involved in their lives. But in the middle of this prophecy of darkness, he gives the prophecy and the promise that light is going to come. That darkness will not endure forever, but light will come. The Bible would tell us in these first two verses of the text that I read that this light will shine in the darkness. It is a time of darkness and despair when those two things go hand in hand. When the days get shorter, depression goes up. When the light is not there as readily, people become more depressed, they become more anxious. In parts of the world where the sun may only shine for a few hours of of the day in times of the year, suicide and depression run rampant because darkness and despair go together. And the prophet has said this is going to be a time of darkness and despair. It will be the humbling of the nation of Israel and of the tribes of Israel. There is, though, this promise of a light that's going to come. And Isaiah would make this prophecy, and he would locate this prophecy, not just in all of Judah, but specifically in Galilee of the Gentiles. And it makes it more clear between the mountains and the sea where the road that runs between the mountains and the sea, you've heard me mention this in the last few weeks, it is the Via Maris, it is the west side of the mountains, between the mountains and the sea, and this main trade route there, he says, this is where the light is going to come, and this is where the light will shine. There is going to be an absence of glory of God in the land, but then the light will come. And these people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And when they see this great light, change takes place. If you were to come in here with the door shut, the lights off, you wouldn't know where to go. I even come in here at times and the doors are open and run into chairs if I don't turn on the light. Because you can't see in the dark. But when the light comes on, everything changes. Illumination takes place and you can see what is there. And this promise of light, is, and this promise of change that will come is, one, it begins with this enlargement of the nation of Israel. At the time when Isaiah is giving this prophecy, Once again, the nation of Israel proper has been destroyed. Judah is still in existence. These world empires would come. After Isaiah makes this prophecy, Babylon, they would carry off Judah into captivity, enslave them. Then the Medes and the Persians would come in and overthrow the Babylonians, and they would then also enslave all of those who were ruled by the Babylonians. And then when that kingdom would reach its low point. The Greeks came in under Alexander the Great and they would then rule 
the known world, including that which is the land of Israel. And then the Romans would rise to power and they would come in and rule and enslave the Jews as well. But in all of that, this prophecy says that the nation of Israel is going to be enlarged and and Ezekiel would prophesy that the nation of Israel would be reborn and that took place in 1948. And we look at the ramifications of that today and what's going on in our world of these prophecies that were fulfilled in the Bible are biblical prophecies that were fulfilled even in the lifetime of some of our parents or grandparents. People rejoice. And he says the yoke of slavery will be broken. The oppressor's rod will be broken. War will cease. Now you may say, if Jesus came, born Bethlehem, in the stable, the story we tell of Christmas, how can this prophecy be true? Well, the reality is this, is that some of these things happened at His first coming. And some of these things will happen at His second coming. That the prophets, when they're writing, don't necessarily understand that there's a first coming and a second coming. They don't know the interval between that is called what you and I would call the church age where we're living. But Jesus, when He comes, he He came as light and He is coming again as light. And when he comes the second time, the Bible would say that there is no need of the sun for the Lamb will be the light of the city. He is going to once again shine as a great light. And at that time, all oppression will be broken. And at that time, all war will cease. And at that time, all yoke of slavery will be broken. But now we are living in this time where we can have spiritual freedom and spiritual liberty and the, sh- the, the shackles and the chains of sin can be broken off of our life and we are no longer under the control of anyone except for Jesus Christ. But beyond this light that comes and brings all of this change, this war that's going to cease, and he says the uniforms blood-stained by battle are going to be burned and no more war. And he ends that section of the prophecy and he tells us this. That the light is going to come as a person. It's not just the light is going to shine. It's not like a laser beam. It comes as a person. For a child is born to us. A son is The light is prophesied. This great light is going to shine on those who walk in darkness. It's going to come as a child in a manger. Not as a king, but born to poor parents. Born in poverty, possibly. Not as a full-grown man, when, when God creates everything at the beginning, He creates 
Adam, he doesn't create him as a baby. He creates him as a full-grown man. Creates Eve as a full-grown woman. But when God decides to come in flesh, He doesn't come just showing up. He comes through the natural human process of conception. The nine-month gestation period, and He's born like any other human. He comes as a child. Unto you, a child is born. A son is given. This idea is, not only is he a child, but he is a gift. It is God's gift to us so that you and I could be saved. It is, in essence, his gift of himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The light shined in darkness as a little child that was God's gift to us that would grow, that would become the Savior of the world because He goes to a cross, takes the penalty of our sin, and He dies in our place. But not only is that the case, but the Bible says the government will be on his shoulders. Dominion, in essence, is what the word really means, is that he is going to have dominion, he's going to have rule, he's going to be king of kings and lord of lords. He is going to be over everything. He has dominion because he is God in flesh. Because the dominion really belonged to him from the beginning. And so when he comes in human form, that human form, when he comes the second time, will take on that dominion and rule the world. And his dominion will not end, but it will be forever. His dominion is just and fair. His dominion is linked to the throne of David, his father. He is on the throne of David because he is, according to the lineage of David, the tribe of Judah, which is why he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, because he comes through that lineage. It is dominion that is guaranteed by the zeal of the Lord. When I looked at this verse, verse 7 is, well, let me back up. In verse 6, we use, most translations use this, phrase government you've heard me mention dominion government means more to us than the word dominion for the most part but dominion is a better word which means he is ruling over all of that the domain that is ruled over that is his dominion and he will be called wonderful counselor Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, who is this child that is born? This son that is given, it is Jesus, the Jesus you know. And I've mentioned this in recent weeks in various venues, but figuring out who Jesus is, is the cornerstone 
of all Christianity, and it is the cornerstone of the church. That there are those who would say, He's all God and He's not a man. Others would say He's all man and not God at all. Some would say He's Michael the archangel come in human flesh and became a deity. Some would say He is a demigod. He's the first creation of God, but He's less than God and then He comes in this human form and all manner. Some would say He's the half, He and Lucifer are spiritual, are half brothers spiritually and He's the good brother. prophet would say he doesn't give us his name he doesn't say Jesus but his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father the prince of peace if you have any questions about who Jesus is the prophet would tell you he's everything that God is in human flesh and he comes as a little child but he comes getting And going to have dominion. Verse 7, it ends with this guarantee. Depending on the translation you you look at, it will actually use the word guarantee. But the NLT, which is on the screen behind me, the RVR 60, the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Now read that, and, and to be honest with you, I had to read it two or three times to grasp the grammatical construct of what it's saying. The Lord of heaven's armies, it, it's, a, it's actually a Hebrew phrase. You see it, if you, look, if you know Hebrew, but anytime you see the armies of the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, it's... Yahweh's Sabaoth, that it puts his name there, and it's, he is the Lord of hosts. That's the most frequent translation. It's a military term. It says that this king has got this great army, and this army is going to be working on his behalf. But it's not the passionate commitment of the armies. That will make it happen, but it said it is the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies. That what God has promised, He will bring to pass, and He is going to make it come to pass. That there is coming a day when His dominion will be absolute. When all the nations of the earth will bow down to Him, and all of human government will be under His control. And it is because of His zeal and His determination that He will make it come to pass. And in fact, in that translation of passionate commitment, variations of that would be this, the zeal of God or the zeal of Yahweh is going to bring it to pass. And others would say it's the jealousness of God that will make this happen. The New Testament would tell us that He is a jealous God. Which is why you can have no other gods before Him because He's a jealous God. That He is the one that is going to be worshipped and He is the one that is going to be alone worshipped and anyone who does not worship Him will be taken out of the way. 
It's his passionate commitment to being Lord over all. After all, it is his creation. After all, it is his creation that should be responding to their creator in the way in which he wants them to respond with worship and praise and adoration and surrender and following the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Armies speaks to God's power and ability to bring this to pass. Not only does he have a passionate commitment to do it, he's got the ability to bring it to pass. We as finite humans sometimes question we say things like man can god do that does god have the power to do that anybody ever anybody ever had questions like that you just question is he really in control And if he's in control, then why is this happening? So if something is happening that we don't think he should allow, then he must not be in control. But he never sleeps, he never slumbers, he never loses power. He's better than the Energizer Bunny. He keeps going and going. He's never going to run out of power. He's never going to run out of ability. He's always going to be able to do what he has promised he will do. Once again, I've been in this all my life, but there was even a point in my life, and I, was, and I think I may have mentioned this a few weeks ago. I was like, God, I don't even know if you can do this. And I knew he could. But in the moment, it was like, I don't know. But he is coming with a dominion that started in Bethlehem, that will culminate in eternity, in this millennial reign that you and I will be a part of. We have seen the fulfillment of that promise of light, that Isaiah prophesied it was coming. We're living some 2,000 years on the other end of that, and we know that it happened. And now you and I get to live in light and not in darkness. The light will shine in the darkness and the light will bring change. The light comes as a person. Jesus brought hope to those who walked in darkness at his first coming. Many have found light in their darkness. The question for some may be this, that's great for them, they found light. They're not walking in darkness, but how can I find the light? The musicians come, there is a little thing called the gospel which is the good news about Jesus. It is that death, burial, and resurrection. And I, I know we're at Christmas. We're in the Christmas season. So why am I talking about Easter? A few months too early. 
Because the only reason Christmas is important is because of Easter. That if He comes and He lives, it doesn't do us any good. It's because He came and He lived and He died. He was buried and He rose again that you and I can have eternal life. And that is the good news of the gospel. And it is responding to that good news that brings us into His life. That those who sit in darkness can see a great light by choosing to follow Jesus Christ. By choosing to access what He did on the cross by repenting of your sins. By turning from your way to His way. By going down in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and being filled with the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. Carla wasn't able to be here today because of vehicle trouble. I got a text. She's watching. Got certificates for next week. We give these certificates. It's just a piece of paper. It doesn't do anything to save you. It doesn't do anything to get you to heaven just a token of remembrance when I got the Holy Ghost and got baptized at the age of 11 I don't think I got a certificate for either of those filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost November 12 1983 Saturday night and baptized Sunday night, November 20th, 1983. Lack of certificate didn't cause me to forget. But it's just a nice gesture. It's a point of celebration. Because what what really took place last week for Carla, she went down in the waters of baptism. She received the gift of the Holy Ghost and the baptistry. She went from darkness to light. That those who walk in darkness see a great light. The light comes when you commit your life to Jesus Christ. You follow Him in the application of the gospel. That spiritual death, spiritual burial, and a spiritual resurrection. I've got a couple more things, but would you just lift your hands right now? Would you just thank God for His goodness? If you 
if you've transformed from light, from darkness to light, if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, if you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, would you just thank Him for that right now? God, I thank You for what You have done. 